0: This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 215, befriending all parts of yourself as a therapeutic tool. If you wonder why you're still doing things that hurt you in the long run, or you feel like there's something wrong with you in some way, or wish you could just get rid of some parts of your personality, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Magdalena Krohn. Magdalena is a yoga teacher and a mentor for highly sensitive people. Using the tools of yoga, embodiment, and internal family system, creative expression and journaling, she helps HSPs feel seen, validated, empowered, and connected. As a former school teacher, she also works with children, parents, and schools to devise strategies for young HSPs so they can thrive in schools and beyond. Magdala's mission is to change the narrative around sensitivity by celebrating it, uplifting all of those who consider themselves to be sensitive. Today, we sat down to talk about parts work, a tool of internal family system or IFS, and how to use this tool to build your self-awareness of the different parts of yourself and how these parts act as a family system or a family dynamic within yourself, each playing an important role and each pushing you into different behavior. And that by creating distance between you and these parts, you can find empowerment and self-healing, whether you're highly sensitive or not. If this episode inspires you in any way, share it and help someone else on their journey towards empowerment and healing. I really love to read your takeaways on the episode. So when you take a screenshot and share it on Instagram, please tag at on and off your mat podcast or at Erica and I'd be able to see it and I'll reshare you. Before we get to today's episode, I have one more reminder regarding Recharge, Reconnect, and Reset, the retreat coming up this April. It's really, really soon, so if you've been thinking about the retreat, you've got to make your move before it's too late. This retreat is like getting three months of coaching for Highly Sensitive packed with me in seven days. You'll learn all my favorite mind, body, spirit, nervous system, and self-care practices to help you drop the story of what it means to be sensitive, embrace yourself fully, create more love, connection, and joy in your your life and really feel like within your relationship you are finally being seen, understood, and loved. It's all about feeling unstoppable instead of overwhelmed and anxious all the time. And if you feel like I'm talking to you, I promise this is going to be life-changing for you. You can go to slash retreat to get all the juicy details you need, and if you'd like to get on a call to talk about those details, DM me the work retreat on Instagram or email me. You'll have my email in the show notes and We'll talk. All right. If you're ready to jump into today's episode, let's go. It's gonna be a good one. Hi, Magdalena. Hi, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited too. We've gone back and forth on social. We have started to get to know each other. But for people that don't know you here on the podcast yet, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey?
1: Sure. I am First and foremost, a highly sensitive person, which has been very transformational for me when I found that out.
0: That's how we connected.
1: Yep, exactly. And that's the experience uh, that a lot of people have. I am a yoga teacher. Yoga has been my passion for a long, long time. I am a former school teacher. I used to work with kids. I still work with kids. I still work with parents. And I am also a mentor. I work with highly sensitive people in a sort of coaching mentorship capacity.
0: Yeah. We have that in common. We have a lot in common, but I was also a school teacher before being a yoga teacher. (laughs) So I always think it's interesting how paths can be very, very similar in that sense. I know. Were you primary or secondary? So the way it works in Canada when I was a teacher is that it goes by seniority. So whenever is your turn to pick, you pick whatever is available. So I started in high school and I loved high school. And then The years I did maybe five years in high school and then the sixth year when it was my time to pick, there was no high school positions left. The only thing that was left was like kindergarten level. Oh my gosh. I know. And I hated it. And two years in, I burned out and I quit and I left. Oh gosh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was high school. I actually burned out too. I hear that from a lot of HSPs who were teachers or are teachers Mm -hmm. and it's a difficult
0: job. It's a lot. It's a lot for sure. So today we're sitting down to talk about internal family system. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, can we start with an overview? Because it's not something we've ever talked about on the podcast and maybe telling us how you work with that as well within your practice.
1: Yeah, sure. And I didn't mention at the beginning that IFS, internal family systems, is one tool that I use in coaching. So IFS stands for Internal Family Systems, and it is an approach to individual psychotherapy that was developed by Richard C. Schwartz in the 80s, 90s. It's actually a really intricate approach to therapy, and it's a model of the mind. It's one way of looking at the human mind in order to understand how it works and it's based on the idea that the mind is divided into these subpersonalities, a system of subpersonalities that work together, not always harmoniously. The best way to understand it is, you know, how often we say to ourselves or to others something like, oh, part of me wants to do X. But part of me feels like I want to do why. We sense this division. We recognize that we have sometimes conflicting feelings and conflicting desires, and it's hard to know what the real authentic you really wants, what the real authentic you desires or what the right thing to do. So sometimes we are reactive or we act out of character and then we're ashamed of that reaction or we're triggered by certain things and we don't understand why. We're ashamed of certain aspects of ourselves and we don't really know why. So IFS has an explanation for why this happens. And it says that all that reactivity, these conflicting desires they're all perfectly valid and they're all just different parts of ourselves that dwell within our psyche or another way of looking at it is that the idea of the inner child except we have a lot of different versions of our inner child within us and they developed at different stages in our lives usually when we were young usually to protect us from something that we experienced during that time that was not necessarily traumatic or it could have been or it could have been on a smaller level just a negative impression that was left upon us. And so we developed a coping mechanism. So the goal of IFS therapy is to identify these different parts. And there can be so many, and it's very individual for everyone. It's to identify these parts and to understand them and work with them and ultimately arrive at a deeper inner knowing of your true core self so that you can better manage these parts so that you're not so reactive all the time and you're not just ruled by your emotions and your desires and reactions.
0: That is so interesting. Other than the inner child, do you have other examples of what might we label these parts of ourselves? Yeah. So in IFS, there's three categories. So
1: they're called managers, firefighters, and exiles. The managers and the firefighters, they're very proactive parts. A manager might show up, for example, if you are maybe a perfectionist and that manager part is causing you to have these perfectionistic tendencies to always be on top of things, to always get things done perfectly. And it's sort of managing that part of your life, but ultimately it's protecting you from something.
0: Yeah. From failure, from feeling shame, from making a mistake. Yeah. Another one of those parts that's more closely related to the inner child is the
1: exiles. And the exiles are vulnerable parts that have been pushed kind of back, pushed underneath. And they just need to be recognized. They need to be heard. They have some sort of pain or some kind of shame that has been pushed down. That the other two parts, the firefighters and the managers are also working really hard to protect these vulnerable parts. So they all work together and they show up as different behaviors. And the goal of IFS is to look at these behaviors and decide, is that a manager? If that's a manager, then what role does it have in your life? Like, where does it come from and why is it doing what it's doing? And so
0: you really examine what's going on there. Mm -hmm. It gives you better self-awareness of what's going on. And I'm assuming it's also helping with self-compassion. Because you can kind of distance yourself a little bit and not be so identified with the behavior and be like, well, it's this part of myself that's trying to protect me from this. And I feel like that space can help release a little bit of judgment. Is that your experience?
1: Oh, my gosh, absolutely. The reason I got into it was because I was coached by someone, by an IFS coach. I'd had traditional talk therapy for a while. And of course, it was very effective and very helpful. I love therapy. I loved my therapist. She really helped me to overcome some things. But just one IFS coaching session is incredibly transformative in a very different way. Like It wasn't such a drawn-out process the way talk therapy can be. And it wasn't so much of a, well, let's explore you know, this tangent and that tangent. It was more like, not so much let's put a label on this behavior, but let's offer an explanation based on this model for why you're having this behavior come up. And yes, you're absolutely right about the distancing. That's what worked for me. I had some issues that kept coming up around always having to have the right answers and always having to have the best knowledge, the best qualifications, you know, kind of imposter syndrome and to be the most knowledgeable and perfect intellectually. And so that is what I worked on with this IFS coach. These feelings of inadequacy and compulsive pursuit of knowledge, always more, 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 it was really getting in my way. And so we worked to isolate a young part of me that developed this coping strategy to protect me from feelings of shame. And that alone, that awareness, you know, the knowing that that's not me defective. Like I wasn't born that way. I'm not defective. Like that's a part that's separate from me? And we can work on that. And I think that is what makes IFS so powerful.
0: Could you walk us through what a session looks like? You were talking about like even one session having like a huge impact on you. Where do you start? What does it look like? What do you do with your clients when you use this system as the tool?
1: I will talk about what I do in coaching with my clients, but I do have to say that I'm not IFS therapist and I'm not a psychotherapist. I feel very strongly about the ethics around this. To become a full IFS therapist, you have to go through very rigorous and very expensive training, and rightfully so, because it's a very intense you know, therapeutic process. So I use one tool of IFS called parts work. I work with the parts on, I'd say, a less in-depth level. I don't work with trauma. I don't work with the kinds of things that therapists work with. But here is what I will do is, first of all, make a client familiar with the idea of parts that they can look at their mind and they can look at themselves through this lens of parts and we'll reframe things that the client tells me into parts language so if the client will say you know i often feel depressed when so and so happens or when this happens or i often feel you know anxious at work when this one colleague shows up and it's you know making my life difficult I will help them to talk about that in a different way. There is a part of you that feels anxious, that feels triggered by this colleague. And it is this part of you that's reacting this way. There is a somatic aspect of IFS, I should mention. It is not just like a mind thing, like let's look at our mind, you know, in the traditional Western psychology model. There is a somatic element, which I love. And I know that you love
0: too. Absolutely.
1: Where I help the client to connect with the emotions through their body and then to understand that through parts work.
0: So, once the person is identifying the part, can people start to do that on their own? Like, is there self reflection questions or like tools that you have for inner dialogue or things that people can experiment to kind of get started? Like, how do we start to look at ourselves and be like, okay, there's this part and there's this part? Can we do that alone or do we need support? You can do it
1: on your own to a certain extent. But if you do it on your own, you're dealing with it in mostly an intellectual way.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: There's tons of information on IFS. There's books, there's podcasts, probably YouTube videos that you know explain how it works. So yes, you can absolutely do it yourself. I would argue, though, that you don't get the guidance, the individualized guidance that is so helpful. For sure. You know, someone who is listening to you reflectively in the moment and is helping you to shape the conversation in the moment based on your specific
0: experiences. So that's a whole other thing. It's a whole nother layer. I was asking because I read that the core principle of ISF are based in the belief that like everybody has an innate capacity for healing and self-leadership. So can you talk about how you help someone move into that like self-healing, self-leadership over time since they need that kind of mirroring back to learn the tools and to get there. And how those principles kind of come in and support the practice.
1: Yes, and that is the part that I haven't mentioned yet. So I talked about all the parts. Ultimately, the goal of VFS is not just to know the parts, but actually to not banish the parts, but to access What we call self energy. And yourself is what you talked about. It's your sort of authentic core, like who you are at your core, that's often very difficult to access because you're distracted by all these parts. So a person can't really be fully empowered in their self energy if they're distracted by all the parts that are active, that are colliding with one another. It's a concept that's very (laughs) similar. In fact, it's the same as as what we try to achieve in yoga. And so to access self-energy, you would need several sessions to really understand how to do that. It's an effect that, of course, can be achieved through meditation, through mindfulness, through yoga. For some people, that isn't very accessible for whatever reason. For sure. And they'll
0: find IFS to be
1: more understandable.
0: Maybe it's more tangible than like meditation.
1: Yeah. And also because you're working with the support of someone who's explaining these things in a language that's easier to understand than the language of yoga and meditation. So how do we become empowered? It's kind of a gradual process of understanding and and feeling in your body what self-energy is, what it feels like to be courageous and compassionate. There's actually the eight C's of the self in IFS. And these are characteristics that if there is a presence of these characteristics in the client, not all of them all at once, but gradually you start to feel them more and more often. And they are calm, confident, connected, compassionate, creative, curious, clear, and courageous. And if you're starting to experience these things more and more in your life, in your daily life, you know, more calm as you go about stressful activities, more connected with the people in your life, more curious about what's possible you're open to creativity. Your mind is more open. You have more compassion for others and for yourself. That's an indication that you are starting to operate from the self, from your empowered core, rather than from the reactive, distracting parts.
0: Yeah. So it's like you said, it's not about banishing, but it's almost like integrating everything in your core self or like activating what you're doing from that place without getting distracted by the other voices that are around. So if you have access to those C's, those would be a sign that you're moving in the right direction towards that integration and you're not being taken over by those parts of yourself that are maybe throwing a little bit of a tantrum for attention.
1: That's right. Yeah. But it's also important to understand that the other parts, you're not trying to get rid of them. And this is something that's really hard for clients to understand at the beginning because they don't like these qualities about themselves. The anxious, the reactive, the frustrated, you know, the fearful, they want to banish that. It's like we have this impulse to erase, you know, the negative aspects of ourselves.
0: Yeah. Cause we have judgment and
1: shame around it. But what you really do is you, first of all, tap into the self and then learn how to put the self in the driver's seat so that the self can speak compassionately to the parts and be like, okay, I know why you're acting up. We've had this conversation before. I accept that you're here and you're always going to be here and that's fine. We can
0: coexist, but I'm in charge. I like that idea of allowing them to be and yet staying in charge, right? That's the empowerment piece of like, I am the leader of the gang basically. And you're allowed to be around because I see that you are here to protect me, or I see that you're here to manage you know, a problem or a situation, or I see that you're here because I need to be reminded that I need more self-compassion or self-love or whatever the exile part is asking for. So it's kind of a nice way to see it like you're in the driver's seat. But I understand that people would rather kind of exile them like, remove them from themselves because of the judgment. Do you work directly on the judgment around those parts or is that just come kind of naturally as you put your core self in the driver's seat?
1: No, we work on that. It takes some time. It takes a lot of reflection. We'll do journaling. You know, once they start to become aware and they start to shift their perspective into this way of thinking, there's a lot of work that goes on outside of sessions. So they'll come back a week later and be like, you know, I had this epiphany, like this part popped up, but I really felt like I was able to get it under control.
0: They're practicing like self-observation and self-study as they go through.
1: Exactly. The self-awareness. And, you know, that's something that gets stronger and stronger the more that we practice, the more that we become mindful of what's going
0: on within us. Totally. You were talking about like that you still work with kids and adults and there's the word like family and internal family system. Is it made to work through intergenerational like family things or it's mostly about you inside with those parts? How does that connect here? Right. That's a very misleading part of the name. And that's what
1: I thought too. When I was introduced to internal family systems, I was like, I don't want to bring my family into this. <laughs> not <now>. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a family therapy at all. The family part refers to the family of parts inside you. They kind of have a family dynamic.
0: That's so interesting.
1: I know. It's just so extra next X level. There's so many tangents. But if you look at a family... Often families will have different roles. It's very similar in your own internal family system. Your parts can act like family members. Some of them, the stroppy child who's protesting and doesn't want this and the overbearing manager, like trying to take control. However, I know that there are some therapists working as family therapists using IFS. I don't know much about that.
0: But no, to answer your question, it has nothing to do with families and intergenerational things. Yeah, because that's in the name. I'm assuming some people might think that it all relates to like family, but it's important, I guess, to know that and to see it like that. I think it's also helpful to accept all parts when you're like, it's a family inside of me. And like when you see your role within your family, like whether you're the firstborn, that's a bit more type A. Or you're the baby, you know, like we all have these roles in our families, like you were saying, and you don't want to get rid of your brother or your sister because they have this trait that maybe is not seen as like the best trait to have. You still love them. And I like that idea of like bringing in the parts of yourself as a family and they all have their role, whether or not their behavior is always, you know, what your parents would approve of.
1: Right. Exactly. I think that is one of the hardest things that humans have to do sometimes if you do have difficult family members and difficult family relationships, dynamics to overcome whatever complex negativity dynamics, you know, whatever's going on there and still find love and acceptance for the person who keeps making your life difficult. And it's the same within yourself. I'd say maybe even harder, I don't know, to find like a part of you that you feel ashamed of, that you wish was not part of you, especially if you have an image of yourself that you aspire to, or that you think you are this person. And then you've got this part that keeps reminding you, you're not, you're this person and you're reactive and you've had that experience, or you feel shame around that, or, you know, you treat people in this way, or you have these reactions To accept that about yourself, that is something that will probably always be a part of you to some extent. And to arrive at a point where you have compassion
0: for that part, that's big. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, that's huge. Do you think it's a system that works better for highly sensitive people because they tend to have like a lot of self criticism or self judgment to start with, or like a deep inner world and a kind of open communication with that? Is it? helpful for them particularly or who is it helpful for in general then? I think it's helpful for everyone, but
1: definitely for HSPs purely because, you know, a lot of us grew up with these feelings of inadequacy and shame around our sensitivity and all the other things, you know, being told explicitly or implicitly that we're broken, we're not good enough, we need to toughen up and all of the stuff related to that. It can be very helpful to detach yourself from those feelings of shame and inadequacy, and ultimately can lead to empowerment. And self-acceptance is the most important thing for HSPs.
0: Yeah, I can see how this would be so helpful for someone that's sensitive, just because of those things you said. And it makes me curious, would you share a little bit about what it like transformed in you? You told us a little bit in the beginning why you started, but what's the other side? Like, I'm not saying that it's ever finished and done, but like, what can people aim for, hope for when they work with this? What can change as they become, you know, and have more self-acceptance and feel more empowered? What does that look like in an everyday life? For me,
1: I've been working on my procrastination. And I know that's not strictly an HSP problem, but it is a common one and it's very closely linked to perfectionism too and that oh yeah has been a thing for me all my life procrastination as you know is really a fear of some kind of
0: uncomfortable emotion
1: related to a task that you're avoiding and avoiding and avoiding
0: yep you're avoiding the task cuz you're avoiding the emotion
1: you're avoiding the emotion that's right which i didn't know for the longest time i thought i was lazy and that went along with being sensitive because you know, also procrastination aside for just a second, being lazy. And when you're sensitive, you know, you don't have as much energy for things.
0: Yeah. I always thought I was lazy too, because you need time to rest, to decompress more than others. Like I don't have as much like drive or ambition, which I did mentally, but it's like my physical body was not following in some way. Right.
1: Right. And it's a horrible judgment to make of yourself. You know, it's a very bad label. Even if other people never tell you you're lazy, you, you pick up these signals from around you that, wow, I need to rest or I need to, you know, stop doing this task now because I'm tired and my brain fried. Yeah. But IFS specifically helped me to understand that maybe there is a part that is afraid of these certain emotions that are related to tasks that I procrastinate on. And so it helped me to reframe. Like you can work with procrastination in other ways, definitely. And it can be just as helpful. For me to frame it that way, that it's a part, helped me to actually go deeper into the procrastination. Mm-hmm. Why am I avoiding making, you know, boring phone calls that I have to make to like the gas company or whatever? It's an easy task, like just do it. Right. And that's what I told myself always, just like, what's wrong with you? Just do it. But I was able to work on that. So When I was younger, my stepfather would tutor me and help me with my math homework. And I was terrible at math, still am. But he was an engineer and he was a bit old school. And he had these methods that were completely different from what my teachers were teaching me. And so we would sit for hours, him trying to explain to me stuff that was just completely over my head. And I was like, no, this is not what the teacher said. Like, This is not helping. And he would just get more and more frustrated. So I developed this fear of Asking people for help on things that I didn't understand. Like, I'd rather just push it under the rug and not do the difficult task and not ask for help with the difficult task, especially if it involves numbers or, you know, bills. Like, I'll figure it out myself. But of course, I put it off until the last minute. And in a roundabout way, I realized there must have been a part that developed when I was young that became extremely fearful or defensive or just hated that feeling of frustration or of not moving forward or being yelled at by my stepfather. And then it was clearer to me why I didn't like to do certain tasks.
0: So it can help with so many things. That's kind of just what I wanted us to talk about a little bit more. And you gave the example of procrastination, or you gave the example of doing something that you're uncomfortable with, or something that in the past has been difficult for any reason, for feedback, for a sense of like, not doing it well enough so like there's all these things in our life that kind of shape who we are as we grow up and we become an adult and that we keep like little baggage, right? We're like, oh, I suck at math. Like, I also think that. And it's funny because my dad was also an engineer and he would also sit me at the table for hours trying to like drill it into my brain, right? And it just made it worse because then I just kind of shut down and I was like, I quit. Like, I can't try anymore. I'm tired of disappointing you. I feel stupid, right? So then you carry this idea that like, I'm not good with numbers. I'm not super smart or like whatever your brain decides at that moment. So having these parts and being able to look at all these little stories you have about yourself, that's where I was going. Like, what are the stories we can look into? And I know it's infinite, but I was curious about your own experience. So I love that procrastination is one thing. And then that I found that we have something else in common as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Former client of mine had HSB, very sensitive person. Family didn't accept them, didn't accept their sensitivity. And it was a constant, constant source of arguments and frustration. And on my client's part, it was incredibly heartbreaking for them to not be accepted by the family. But they also had this problem of getting extremely emotional and reactive, which of course would escalate conflicts. So family would say, you're too sensitive, stop overreacting. And what would happen?
0: They would overreact.
1: Overreaction. And so they came to me asking, why am I doing this? How can I work on this? How can I stop making things worse even though they're hurting me? And so that was a part we were able to isolate, that it was a very deeply wounded part from a long, long time ago. It was a firefighter, very reactive part, but maybe a little bit of an exile in there too, wounded child who just wanted to be accepted and understood. But The anger that was coming out, the angry reactions were actually, it was defense. Please don't hurt me. You're hurting me and I'm angry at you because you're supposed to love me.
0: Yeah, an expression of the needs as well. Yeah,
1: why don't you see me for who I am? And just knowing that's a part, they were able to start working on it. It's still a work in progress for sure. But after a few sessions, they came back and said, look, I had another incident with my family member. And I did feel the rage coming up, but I was able to separate myself. Like, this is not me. This is like some part of me that's bubbling up. And I know what's happening here. I know what's happening. I know that this is me being defensive or that part actually being defensive because it's hurt. And so that knowledge, it is a very individual process for very individual situations. But just that awareness and the creating of the distance And being able to step back and
0: examine what's happening, examine the behavior, the reaction is incredibly powerful. Yeah, you summarized exactly where I was going in my mind. I wrote down the awareness leads to examination of the behavior. And this is how we get into self-healing and self-leadership because now you have the awareness now you have an understanding of what's going on. And then from there, you can start to take actions. And this is where like the somatic might come in or the person, the coach or the therapist might help you in like, what actions do I take from here? But it makes it like a very clear kind of client journey through where we start towards building that empowerment and that self-healing, because in the beginning, it's really hard to feel empowered when you don't understand why you're doing something and you keep doing that thing that you know is hurting you and is hurting your relationship. And you're like, why am I still doing this? And this stops. You can't continue on the journey of self-healing and empowerment there if you're at the point of like rolling your eyes at yourself, being like, Why am I like this? Right. It kind of stops the shame and the judgment, stop everything else. So I love that journey.
1: Yeah, it gets you out of the cycle of self-judgment and then coming back around to the judgment and the self-hatred and, you know, criticizing yourself and then never knowing why, why can't I change? I just want to change. Well, oh, it starts with awareness. And then from there, you know, I'm not saying that the road is
0: easy, but it is a road, not a circle. All right. So from here, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? If there's like one takeaway for people to kind of leave this conversation with, what would that be for you?
1: I'd say give IFS a go if this piqued your interest. (laughs) There's one thing that I want to say is that I'm really interested in the connection between IFS and Yoga, even though IFS is kind of a Western language and a Western way of looking at the mind, there are so many connections to ancient yogic wisdom, especially this core self and, and you know, finding the ultimate goal of inner freedom and inner empowerment, which I think is fascinating.
0: <laughs> so I'll put your Instagram in the show note, but can you tell us what it is and where else can people find you or go if they want to say hello, they have more questions, or they want to learn from you in some way?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I work right now with clients one-on-one and we work online, Mm -hmm. usually over the course of three months or more. So if you're interested in working with me, you can message me on Instagram or also go through my website. There's a form that you can fill out to book a call.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was a lovely conversation.
1: Thank you. That was great.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. This is your last call-ish for Recharge, Reconnect, and Reset the Retreat coming up this April. Check ericabelanger.com slash retreat or DM me for details or to chat about it. You'll find today's show note at ericabelanger.com slash 215 and all the links you need for Magdalena. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast and their support in making this possible. And this includes all our premium members. You guys rock. Once again, thanks for listening. I'll see you next Monday.